0: I've known Pat McIntosh, uh, first time I met him was several years back when we both graduated from, at that time, Southern Christian University. Uh, the only reason I met him then is because our names are so close together. I think I was in front of him and he was behind me <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the line. And then uh, down through the years, our paths have crossed several times since then and love and appreciate him and stand for the truth, the work that he does and mission and mission work. I work at Bear Valley and, and does a lot of work with them and uh, a lot of other work that he does. We're one of the few who can say that when we went to uh, Southern Christian University and then on for the uh, other programs, that we're one of the few people who were able to attend three universities and never leave campus. <clears> he <throat> we went from Southern Christian University to Regent's University to Amridge University, uh, through various name changes. And uh, we were, so we got, I've got class notes from all three universities. But uh, he has a love for the Lord. He has a desire to share. He has a willingness to stand for the truth. Uh, <clears throat> Michael found that out in class, I think, recently that uh, Pat and I will stand for the truth and do what is right. Uh, but I'm glad to have him with us and look forward to his lesson. Encouraged to give your attention to him as he presents his lesson to us this evening.
1: It is, again, a pleasure to be with you here this evening. I think this is the third year that I've come now, something like that. Uh, I always count it a, a privilege uh, to be able to come. Your uh, series are always on some very good topics, and the concept of running the race and the various aspects we see of running the race uh, are indeed uh, that which is permanent, pertinent today. Um, yeah, I've got four diplomas on my wall, and all four of them say Southern Christian, uh, We became Regions University for just a little while, and Regions Bank in that area had a little problem with our using the same name. So some people have asked me, what does Amridge have to do with Montgomery, Alabama? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Because they did have to change their name, they went to a company that just computer-generated names that had no kind of reference whatsoever in Amridge uh, is what they came up with. Uh, I don't know if David has told you the story. We about both got called up on the carpet. Uh, one time we were there. There was something that was being taught in class that was not true regarding Genesis chapters 1 through 11 being myth. And as the old boy says, I had the right to remain silent, but I didn't have the ability. And I simply asked a question and basically was told to go. And David basically said, I want to know too. So he said, you can go, too. And after we explained the situation, it all worked out fine. Uh, But do appreciate the relationship that we do share together. Good to see Michael uh, here tonight. I've known Michael for about three weeks now, or we're in our third week, and he is an excellent first-year student. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, the first-year student's this year the cream of the crop. Uh, And Michael is meeting a challenge uh, one of my textbook in his class is 547 pages and this week what is it 120 you have to read that's only 20 pages a night if you get after it uh, no step for a stepper is it but I do count it a privilege to be back at Brown Trail full-time I was talking to Karen uh, before service it's good to meet them and, and be able to put a, a face to a Facebook friend I've uh, been friends on Facebook for some time uh, appreciate the congregation there we have a mutual friend and brother Bob Stapleton who passed away. Bob touched so many lives as Heath who was just here has as well and I am thankful to be back at Brown Trail full-time now in both an instructor capacity and serving uh, as the academic dean. You may know Kevin Rhodes who preached at Granbury Street for about 15 years uh, is our new director and uh, the way we're going with the school and the changes we're attempting to make uh, we're, we're very excited about how things are going to be. Please be turning to Matthew chapter 20. And in just a few moments, we're going to read our text, Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. A passage very similar to was a companion passage, especially regarding the last passage of our section, is found in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. And we see some powerful concepts there. Running the race, I'm sure you've heard people lead into that concept a number of different ways this summer. How that the games of that day were so prevalent in what was going on. Uh, Michael is in my New Testament introduction class. And we've been talking this week about how much the athletics and the uh, Greek world was also absorbed by the Roman world. And then you see Paul, being a citizen, was deeply immersed in the concept of these games. Uh, The Isthmian Games were held the year before and the year after the Olympic Games of those days. Right down on that isthmus of land. If you, isthmus is a hard word to say. Your tongue gets in the way, by the way. Uh, But the Isthmian Games were very key to them. The concept, uh, very similar to the Olympics. But they knew what running a race meant, and there were various different competitions. The leading competition was the pentathlon at that time. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, Paul talks about running a race and and striving for the prize that was seen at the end of it. And we know now that that prize was a wreath that was worn on the head. It was woven with leaves and twigs, and it was a corruptible crown. It would eventually deteriorate. And Paul, in making his comparisons, talked about winning a prize that would not deteriorate and would not fade away. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. He talks about pressing toward the goal. And that goal carries the same idea. We have now archaeological evidence of the stadiums, Michael, that were there in that area. And at those stadiums, they would run a race that was just under 200 yards. From the starting line, you could see the finish line. And that's what Paul was referring to with a goal, not stopping until the goal is met, striving for that. We've all heard the phrase that the Christian life is not a sprint. It's not a hundred yard dash. We're talking about a marathon for our life. The race is never over. Until we're done, and so we're constantly striving to be more of what God would have us to be. And as we're talking about this series, I'm sure you've dealt with topics that are all pertinent to that idea that we must keep on keeping on. And the title that I've been given this evening is no different. We need to run the race as a servant. The Bible is filled with characters who lived a servant life as well as being filled with instruction on how to become a servant and then how to maintain our life as a servant. Understanding the role of a servant and learning how we can best live in that capacity. With that in mind, let's read our text. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. I'll be reading from the New King James. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life a ransom for many. And that is stated verbatim in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, as the key verse in the book of Mark. Matthew is filled with numerous prophecies and fulfillments. You've got a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew in Matthew. There is no more Jewish book in the New Testament. But Mark is written to more of a Greek or a Roman mindset. No concept of the Old Testament. No concept of the prophecies. And probably little or no concept of a Messiah. But they would understand a servant spirit. And they would understand someone talking about greatness being in the form of a servant. Here in our text we see James and John's mother coming to Jesus to ask him a favor. She wants them, as most mothers would, to have a prominent place in the kingdom. Jesus basically said they had no idea what they were asking. They really weren't understanding what that meant. They weren't understanding what a prominent role really was. Basically, they said that they could deal with what he dealt with. And he said, you're going to. They're going to suffer persecution. Many of them died. Only two of the apostles did not die a martyr's death. John and Judas. The others were all martyred for their faith. They all had to face the difficulty that Jesus was describing in these verses. Jesus then said that that was a position that only God could have bestowed Upon them. Well, understandably, somewhat, the other ten apostles were a little bit upset by what they heard. Who are these upstarts? What are they asking? What makes them better than us? Why should they have that position and not one of us? And Jesus indicated that that thinking was all wrong, even of the ten. You see, greatness isn't found in position, greatness isn't found in an office. Greatness, according to Jesus, is found in serving mankind. Just as Jesus came to serve, then the disciples themselves must learn to be servants. And by extension, we must as well. I've been accused somewhat in the past of being a little blunt, a little direct sometimes. And sometimes that's what we need. We don't need to sugarcoat things. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being nasty. But sometimes we need to address realities that are going on in the Lord's church. And we need to see where shortcomings might be and where improper ideas might be. And then make those corrections. Well, we want to look at three points tonight. By the way, Michael, lesson number one in homiletics, a good sermon, has three major points. To be a servant, we must, number one, develop the attitude of a servant. And this is probably the most difficult aspect of our becoming servants. You see, the limelight is where so many people want to be in society. I don't know about you all. I used to be the biggest, if not one of the biggest, Dallas Cowboy fans that there ever was. And I said, "Used to," because in the last three years, I don't think I've watched one full game. That's there. I, I, I've lost a love of professional sports, especially professional football, because I don't care if a back gains one yard. The first thing he does is jump up and look for a camera to start showing off in front of. And it's all—it's all about me. It's all about. Um, the prestige that I can have and the um, those that want my name. Some of you may be aware of, of, of something that's gone on with Nike here fairly recently with Colin Capernaum. What's his name? Copernic. That's how much I know. But here was the guy basically who was gone from football because he started this rush of, of kneeling during the national anthem. And his name, maybe it was time, maybe he was feeling a little lonesome, but Nike was going to put out a tennis shoe with a Betsy Ross flag on it. And he asked them to pull that flag off of his tennis shoe, continuing what's going on. But I'm also aware that there are those in sports who do have the right idea. I love it when I see these million-dollar professional athletes going and taking part in manual labor or going and visiting hospitals or visiting kids or, or helping the homeless and the shut-in. It's glad to see that some, at least, still have a concept of serving the society that has made it possible to be where they are in that field. Most of us are well aware that we do not live in a country that values service today. And I say that Unapologetically. How many times have we gone to a restaurant here lately and seen horrible service? Our group uh, at Granbury Street, we have a group that goes out on Sunday nights to eat. And we were gone one Sunday and they all went to IHOP uh, there in town. I don't know that every IHOP is this way, but I think it was an hour before they got their food. Cheryl and I went to one here the other night and had to go to another restaurant. And and, and people were just milling about. They didn't seem to be concerned. And there didn't seem to be a lot of interest in regard to the servers who might have come to the table. We're seeing a generation today that has an entitlement mindset. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? Being catered to or being served. Is what they're looking for. That which is so prevalent in the world today, and here I go, is sadly an issue in the Lord's church today. I know nothing about the makeup of this congregation and know David didn't feed me any statistics. He wouldn't do that to you. But many congregations, if not most congregations with which I am familiar, operate on the 90-10 concept today. And what I mean by that is 90% of the work in a congregation is done by 10% of the membership. If that's not the case here, I applaud you tonight. I'm glad to see that because I've seen so many examples of that today. I've seen so many congregations begging for teachers or various other areas of work. That needs to be done. In so many congregations, if you want something done, go find the busiest person there. Because that's the one you can depend on. Most of the work in a given congregation is done by few of the members. But we're talking about attitude here. And attitude plays a major role in any facet of life. Notice how many times we are told to do something and we're told we're right because we're told to do it. But it's only right if it's accompanied with the proper attitude. You might give $5,000 a week in the collection plate. And if you do it grudgingly, you're not operating on a servant's mentality. The attitude isn't what it needs to be. We're told to be cheerful givers. Johnny Ramsey years ago was talking about God loves a cheerful giver. And the word for cheerful there is the word hilarious. And it's the word from which we get our word hilarious today. And so Johnny used to always say, don't give till it hurts. Give till you laugh. And I think that speaks of attitude. The joy of being able to serve in that capacity. So many depend upon others to take the role in service. I was looking for a good illustration here, and I found something online that I want to share with you. It's somewhat humorous, or at least it's funny to me, but I think it makes our point. A mother was preparing pancakes for her son, Kevin, and his younger brother, Ryan. And lo and behold, believe it or not, the two boys started fighting over who was going to get the first pancake. Why did they do that? Because they were boys. My mom raised four. She knows exactly what I'm talking about here. Notice how that characterizes the me first or the cater to me mentality. Well, the mother saw an opportunity to teach these two boys a lesson. And she said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Well, Kevin's eyes got real big, and he looked at Ryan and said, today you be Jesus. (laughs) I think he missed the point in what mom was trying to say. Well, how do we develop the attitude of a servant? And please notice that's not a misnomer. We have to develop it attitude is that which develops. faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god romans 10 17 so how are we going to grow in any area of christian service or christian demeanor or christian action we're going to see what god's word has to say about it and learn so let's look at a couple of passages first of all philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4 philippians 2 verses 3 and four. There Paul wrote, Let nothing be done through self-ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. If we're going to develop the attitude, we're going to consider our brethren. We're going to look at somebody else rather than ourselves. And I challenge us to see we're going to look at somebody else before we look at ourselves and what our needs may be. Look to Romans chapter 15 and verses 1 to 3. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. When we look to Christ for examples, we see so many examples here. Washing the disciples' feet and caring for others. But when we do consider ourselves, we need to see those, we need to see ourselves as those who are unworthy of any honor. Look to Luke 14, verses 7 through 11, please. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What do we think about ourselves? When we consider ourselves, what do we see in this area of service? How about Romans chapter 13? Excuse me, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Look down just a few verses in that same chapter to verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Are we going back now to the question that Jesus was asked in our text? There were two who were looking for the high honor of sitting there with Jesus. And they had to learn a lesson on what greatness truly is. We need to develop the attitude as children of God that there is no task that is beneath us in our service. And I can't help but think of the example of Naaman here. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. This past Sunday, uh, John uh, Hapner, our new preacher, brought a lesson on the Naaman complex. And the Naaman complex is, instead of looking for the great, grand, spectacular things to do, look for the little things that need to be done. Oh, I'm going to give Jesus all this money when, when, when I come into my own. How about giving him so much per week? Or here's this great opportunity where I can be seen by the community and, and all the people will see what I'm doing. Why don't you do that thing in the back room that nobody but your brethren may see? You see, it's not the grand things. It's the smaller things that can help us as well. 2 Kings 5, 11 to 13. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the far part of the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. I find it somewhat ironic that it's a servant that straightens the commander of the Syrian army straight. You see, he was expecting some great show and and a wave of arms and abracadabra to do this because he was in such a place of prominence. He had won a lot of battles. He had proven himself. And I believe he was believing his press clippings. And he wasn't going to lower himself in this muddy Jordan when he could go back. The wisdom of the service of the servant. Was a voice of reason there. Number two. To be a servant. We must know what we need to do. As a servant. Okay I want to be a servant. I've developed an attitude of a servant. Now what do I do? What can I do? Well first of all let's just look for an area. In which we can be involved. Someone has well said the more you put into something. The more you're going to get out of it. There are those who want to work, but they have no idea of what needs to be done. I challenge us to see that all we need to do is open our eyes and walk around a little bit. (laughs) If we'll just look for something, I guarantee you, you'll find it. The more we look to become involved, the more areas of service that are going to be opened up to us. It may not be glamorous. I was talking with somebody one day and indicated that we needed somebody to start filling the communion trays. And somebody thought how menial and low that was. But how many of us take for granted that the communion's prepared every Sunday? And somebody has to do it. It's an important work, but it's a work that somebody does. And if one person doesn't do it, somebody else has to for it to be ready. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, Solomon wrote, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Work while we have the opportunity. Serve while we have the opportunity. Another thing that we can know to, uh, or, or, or know that we need to do as a servant, is involving others. There are those who serve, and for whatever reason... They want to do it all by themselves. In and of itself, that's not wrong. Again, you want to get something done, find the busy person. And there are more than enough who will step up and say, I'll do it, let me do it. And that's fine if the attitude is proper. Oh, here comes that troublesome attitude thing again. Why are you doing it by yourself? Is that work? Are you holding on to it to protect it? Is there glory there? Is there recognition there? Do you think you're the only one that can do it? Brethren, we need to involve others rather than attempting to do it all ourselves because that's going to help both us and them. Look to Luke 5, verses 1 through 7. Luke 5, verses 1 through 7. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. The idea of needing help, there's nothing wrong with it. I would much rather be one who asked for help than to fail because I was too proud or motivated some other way not to get help. We don't need to do it all by ourselves. Why? Well, just a side note here. Someone who has never served, say you've got a task and you do it regularly, but it's really becoming taxing on your time. You go get someone else and say, and bring them in to ask and see if they could help. And it may may very well be that's the opportunity they were looking for, was for someone to ask them to come do something. And then in there we have a servant that's born, and one who the next time and the next time and the next time will be much better about serving. A third thing that we need to know to do is to Volunteer. Sometimes all we need to do is ask, is there something I can do? I'll guarantee you, (laughs) there's always something that needs to be done. Always something that needs to be taken care of. Some people may need help, but they're simply afraid or embarrassed to ask for that help. This may involve our looking around and seeing what needs to be done. And in those cases, simply say, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. There is so much good that can be done if we'll just look around, recognize a need, and volunteer to take care of it.
0: Ola Mae Hefley
1: was a member of the Granbury Street Congregation. She passed away. We're living in her house now uh, in the role that I'm serving there as... The associate. But Ola May. May been that one that just a note. Surely. Sending somebody a card. Is not going to make that big an impact. Surely sending an email. And telling somebody that I'm praying for you. Is not that big a deal. When I was working with Bear Valley. One of the congregations that supported me. Was the Bridgeport congregation. They couldn't support me much. Much. But every time I left on a trip, I got an email or a call or a card that said, while you're gone, we're praying for you. And I saw that as such a great act of service. Somebody took their time to do what might appear to be some little bitty nothing thing to many. But I guarantee you, as I was gone for three or six weeks, it was so comforting to know that somebody had reached out. I get cards from a congregation where my brother attends, just outside of Omaha, Nebraska, in Bellevue. And once a month, I get a card from them encouraging me, telling me some things. I don't know exactly what's going on with your mission printing, but I know that some congregations get together and help fold material and prepare it to go. Imagine the chaos if somebody didn't prepare what was going to be shipped elsewhere. Nobody else may ever see it, I guarantee you, mission printing does. And I guarantee you, the missionaries overseas that it goes to realizes that something has been done when somebody has volunteered to step up. I can't help but think of the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith. Knowing what to do sometimes is seen in the recognition that something needs to be done, but it might be something that we really don't enjoy doing. A classic example is provided in the hours before Jesus' crucifixion in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Have we ever thought that Jesus really did not want to die the kind of death? that he had to die remember his prayer in the garden lord if there's any way let this cut be taken from me putting that in our jargon today that would be like saying god if there's any other way to save these people please let me know and let's go that route why because crucifixion was not pretty Sometimes I think some of our brethren think that Jesus was crucified on a velvet cross with soft wrappings to hold his hand to the cross. I don't know how many of you might have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ. I disagree with a lot of what I saw there. Mel Gibson got some of it wrong. But Jim Cavizio played a classic Christ in that scene. And the value of that movie is seeing what he looked like just before the crucifixion. This is somewhat blunt, but he was a bloody mess. That wasn't a pretty scene. Many went completely insane on the cross. How many of us have a fear of smothering? Anything cover your face where you can't breathe? (laughs) Don't, Don't cloud her windpipe. Death on the cross was by suffocation. When they could no longer pull and push their bodies up, the muscles would constrict across the lungs and squeeze the air out. I can't imagine more horrible death than Jesus knew because the Romans had become experts at it. But what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The Bible doesn't tell me to serve as long as it's something that I enjoy doing. Sometimes it's not pretty, but still needs to be done. Our last point is just do it. (laughs) Just serve. Just do it is a trademark of the shoe company Nike. And it was one of the core components of Nike's brand. You'll see the phrase just do it with that swoosh. At the end of it. That was a slogan that was coined in 1988. At an advertising agency meeting. And it stuck for a long time. Brethren, sometimes it's not a matter of attitude. It's not a matter of knowledge. But simply a lack of action on our part. That's involved. We know that something needs to be done. We can see areas of opportunities. We can see something that needs to be done. But we just don't step out. And do it. We need to pay close attention to what's found in James chapter 1 verses 22 to 25. You see there he's talking about the foolishness of looking in a mirror. And seeing things that need to be changed. And then walking away from it without making those changes. And rather than being a hearer of the word. We need to be doers and not just hearers. There are numerous other passages that speak, though, to this matter. And as our time is running low, I want to mention two. First of all, Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a thought to come in our mind. Years ago... I started seeing these rubber bands that the kiddos were using for bracelets. And I saw WWJD on one. And I asked somebody what it meant. Most of us know, what would Jesus do? I don't think that goes far enough. I think it needs to be WDJD. What did Jesus do? Because here's our example. As a servant, what did Jesus do? As a servant, what did others do? James four seventeen. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. Brethren, may we be those who begin today to get more actively involved in our service. If you are already actively involved, I'm so glad for you. And I'm sure the congregation here appreciates what you do. God and his son is who we're serving. We're serving our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Take our eyes off of ourselves and look at God in Christ. Take our eyes off of ourselves and look at the brethren that we're helping. We are serving, (coughs) excuse me, any and all. Even outside of the body, that may need our help. So many depend on what we can offer them. So many depend upon us in various areas of life. We're going to sing the invitation song in just a moment. But let me close by simply pulling this all back together. To be a servant, number one, we must have the attitude of a servant. To be a servant, number two, we must know what we need to do to serve. And thirdly, to be a servant, we must be willing to step outside of our comfort zone and serve. I love the youth song, Make Me a Servant, Lord, Make Me Like You. Such a great words. Mark 10 45. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. May we be those who serve to the best of our ability. May we do so sacrificially. May we do so unselfishly. With the proper attitude in mind. And keep our eyes on the goal as we run the race as well. We don't know the hearts or the minds of anyone here this evening. If you're not a member of the body of Christ, we plead with you to come to him on his terms. Hearing his word, believing it, repenting of your past sins, confessing Christ as Lord Putting them on in baptism. They're coming into contact with this blood. They're having our sins washed away. But as is so often the case, as I look across a congregation like this, most, if not all, of you are already there. But brethren, I am so thankful that the blood on the cross does not just cleanse one time. The blood on the cross continues to flow and continues to deal with sin. That we might commit. We all struggle. We have areas of weakness. There's times when sin can drive us to our knees. It may be tonight that you brought a burden in here with you. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 tells us that our sin separates us from God. What's the good news? You can lay that burden down right here tonight. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. As we stand and as we sing.